0: Thank you, Fu, for having already such a diverse conference. Each panel has, you know, had a woman or some diversity to it, so really, really appreciate that. It says a lot about the direction that you all want the space to go into, which is what we hope for. So, as we all know, the tech industry is thriving, but the percentage of women invested in and involved in crypto and blockchain is lower than, you know, that of men. And incidents like the North American Bitcoin Conference, where three out of 88 speakers were women, and the after party was held at a strip club, further shows the disparity that's happening in this industry. According to Coin.dance, nearly 95% of the Bitcoin community engagement and active participation is from men, whereas only 5% is from women. And as Britt Morin, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, said, we have the opportunity to rebuild the financial systems. And I'm paraphrasing here. Are we going to do that with men all over again? So in this Women in Blockchain panel, I want to highlight the accomplishments and perspectives of professional women in the blockchain and crypto space, and shed light on why it's important to have women in blockchain, and just overall diversity in tech. So we'll start with introductions. My name is Tess Pereira. I'm a consultant at MLG Blockchain Consulting. We do ICO campaigns, um, enterprise consulting, smart contract development, and education. I'm also one of the co-organizations organizers of the Women in Blockchain DC Meetup. So if you all are in the DMV, you should definitely come check out our monthly events. And I'll let Nana take it away from here. Please introduce yourselves, tell us who you are, what you're working on, and how you got involved in the space.
1: Hello,
0: everyone. Thank you, Nana. Yeah. Are you? Hello. Hey,
2: here. Okay, Yeah. Okay, I'll just. I speak really loud. I hope everyone can hear me. My name is Nana, and I'm very happy to be here and to share the stage with these amazing women. I am an economist and outreach associate for Blockchain, Digibyte Global Blockchain. I also work as a campaign manager for Omega ICO. Um, with Digibyte, what I do is I read a lot of industry white papers and provide commentary and input to help nurture, foster, and grow the blockchain ecosystem. For Digivide, I also engage with regulatory bodies, such as the SEC and the CFTC. As the outreach associate, I lead outreach, education, and marketing in the Africa region. And for Omega ICO, I work as a campaign, campaign manager, so I work with different teams to help launch successful ICOs. So our credit
3: and investors who are part of our platform and, of course, we're led by you here. That was good time. <laughs> Hi, my name is Laura Taylor. Um, I uh, have been in the space for about two years. I used to teach math at a community college and realized after doing more research that blockchain was more important than calculus. Um, and so I retired early so I could focus on community education. Or blockchain you know just blockchain in general when I was researching Digibyte this May uh, I realized it was a special kind of project that I really wanted to get behind and so I messaged them on telegram and said maybe you should try and start some meetups because I had started a meetup group um, I'm part of a national meetup leaders group with foo and um, when I said that, they said, well, we just started an awareness team for marketing. Uh, could you come on as an education and outreach specialist? And so that's my, uh, my background for Digibyte. Um, stop by our booth. I'll give you 10 digi. <laughs> uh, but I focused mostly on community education and outreach.
1: Awesome. Can you all hear me? Hi. I'm Jennifer Giorgino. Um, I started in this space about a year and a half, almost a year and a half ago. And um, after Dickinson College and Johns Hopkins, I was in the uh, the legal field actually, which goes to smart contracts eventually, um, and my love of them. But um, uh, actually doing some business development work and what have you. And it was really the the event last year at the Intercontinental by IBM that Tapscott spoke at. And if if you don't know who he is, he wrote Blockchain Revolution and literally when he started talking about smart contracts, I drank the Kool-Aid, that was it. I had been with a um, telemedicine consulting firm and another HIT consulting firm. I had been on the board of Technology Association of Georgia Digital Health Group. Um, I had been a member of HIMs for years. So I had watched the HIT space and, and what was happening to it and issues in it. And my father had been chairman of the board of our hospital for over 20 years in Pennsylvania. So it was, it was very easy for me to understand kind of some of the challenges in that space. Um, and I had been a physician recruiter as well in that space. So um, when he said that, it's funny because um, the idea in, I remember in college, not doing well at all in chemistry, which is why I was not a doctor. um, But then acing logic because to me, A plus B equals C made so much sense. So last year when he said, well, it's A and B present, and then C will automatically occur in smart contracts. And that's when I just said, that's it. I'm in love, that's what the space I wanna be in. It's um, It makes such good sense. And I was subsequently with Patientory, one of the first startups in healthcare to try to use blockchain technology. I think everyone has to cut their um, chops on their first startup uh, to just see what's going on out there and how it's done. And I was then a senior editor of Healthcare Blockchain Review. And I've been sort of doing the, the um, conference touring ever since, Um, and it's an awful lot of fun. And I'm with Blockchain Chamber of Commerce right now in Atlanta as Vice President, and um, doing some consulting and looking for my next bit of work.
4: Cool, Um, I hope you guys can hear me as well. Um, My name is Hannah Robinson, and I work for a company, and also am a founding member of HealthWiz, which is a mobile application that we've built on Ethereum blockchain that allows people to rightfully download, aggregate, and share their medical records um, using blockchain. Um, I also currently work for the government as well um, as a contractor, and I have, before I was introduced to HealthWiz, I worked in uh, the Postal Service. They actually have a um, uh, inspection, the inspection service is the Postal Service um, Uh, law enforcement, Um, so I did a lot of IT work for them, and I overheard them talking and discussing a lot of, um, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies, because when they would crack cases and arrest people, they um, actually confiscated a lot of their assets, and those assets just so happened to be cryptocurrency. So that's how I was introduced to blockchain, um, and then, you know, after that I kind of segued into HealthWiz and then now I work for Cybersecurity Unit of the Postal Service, so.
0: Wow, thank you. So we're going to start with individual questions to the panelists, but of course, feel free to jump in if you have something to contribute. We'll start with Laura. Laura, you've done a lot of work providing education, organizing meetups, and welcoming those who are new to crypto. How do we attract more women and young girls to this space? And do you have any advice for people, especially women, who want to get involved? Um,
3: I would say, uh, I'm gonna use myself as an example. Uh, I got into this space because my sister watched the Bitcoin documentary two years ago and said, hey, I think this is gonna be a big thing. And so I trusted her and I knew she was brilliant and I knew she you know, had my best interests at heart. So when she told me, hey, I think this is gonna be a big deal, um, I really listened. And then I started to study a lot. Um, when you go down the rabbit hole I think that's really kind of the key uh, is studying. So I think you know to bring more women in it's going to take women who are already in this space as innovators and as you know top of their industry people that people trust and look towards to talk to people and say hey you know this isn't just a drug coin anymore you know this is a this is a technology that's happening and just getting people to listen um, and and giving them resources to educate themselves because it's going to require that personal responsibility uh, you know I you can't hold anybody's hand the whole time you got to get them started and then let them go and so I think for women the biggest you know really the biggest barrier is getting in once you're in the opportunities are unbelievable you know I can't believe the opportunities I've had in the last six months once I got in past that layer uh, of just that knowledge barrier and so I think um, just encouraging the innovative women in this space um, like us up here to talk to more women to talk to more girls to you know go out and talk to Girl Scout troops you know Mm-hmm. You target these these schools, and you know, let girls know that like, or anybody really, uh, don't be scared to learn. So that's what I would say.
1: I wanted to add something to that. Um, I looked up a few things. Um, there's actually groups called Girls Who Code. You all probably are familiar with that one. Um, crypto Chicks. <coughs> I know it sounds cute, but Crypto Chicks is in Atlanta. Um, women in technology is, is really wonderful. Um, and they're nationwide. Um, and there's definitely a group down where I am in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and of course, universities, settings like this, I think, help younger women, whether um, at the college level or what have you, to uh, and support them in the industry. Meetups are wonderful. And there's a lot of female women meetups. Um, I know your part. I know. Anna also is a part of them. Um, High schoolers. And then last year when I was at, I'm about to go tomorrow to um, All Things Open in Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And a lady spoke, it was called Jewelbots. And it's very cute. Um, Young girls, literally young girls wear uh, bracelets between themselves. And they learn how to code. And they share code and they code the bracelet. It is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it was a year ago they they had launched... um, but anyway, those are a couple ideas if there's young girls that you know.
0: Very cool. Yeah, it's definitely important to participate in the community, you know, an activity that increases your knowledge and your reputation and those all contribute to your career progression. And that can be said for, for anybody that's trying to enter any space really is get involved. And I just want to add that today we have the benefit of social media and accessing people and information is so much easier than what it used to be. So following a thought leader, tweeting at them and you could very well likely get a response and you know ask them questions directly to learn more from them and to share your own knowledge. Um, yeah, definitely participate and be active and do your research. I mean you know, do your due diligence. it's critical to your career success and, and, and you know from an investment perspective as well. So the next I want to talk about communication uh, with Nana and Hannah. So let's start with Nana. So you're Nana. You're known for giving constructive feedback and actionable solutions to promote the awareness and adoption of the Digibyte blockchain. It's so important to communicate clearly and to take a solution design approach to blockchain. So what approach or framework do you use when you give feedback, and how do you communicate and advise on adoption?
2: Okay. Thanks for that. Um, In my experience so far in this space, feedback is an art. And I don't think it's just limited to to blockchain. Given feedback, in any circumstance, you have to be circumspect, and um, you have to know what you're talking about. So for me, the first thing that comes to mind when I'm engaging in any kind of conversation, especially where my feedback and my engagement is needed, is do I know what I'm talking about? You know, don't just talk to get the sound of your own voice and in a space where, you know, your voice is, in, 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 in a way, can, can be taken one way or another. You have to be very careful how you phrase things so you don't waste your, uh, max out your, your 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 potential audience. So the first thing is to be knowledgeable about whatever you're giving feedback on. Is it constructive feedback? Do you actually know what you're talking about? And um, the second thing, that I would, I would take into consideration is the intention behind the kind of feedback you're, you're giving. Are you giving feedback so your voice can be heard? Are you give, giving feedback to be antagonistic, or are you actually a team player who says, "Look, the part, the point of being part of a team is to identify blind spots that can be taken into consideration in, in any game plan, right?" So these are the blind spots I'm seeing. Have you noticed them? Are you aware of them? If you have, what kind of steps are you taking to mitigate any risks that can be associated with them? Um, or if not, if you're aware of them and you aren't taking any proactive steps, have you thought about how they might impact you down the line and you know how can you adjust if anything comes your way? So I think for me the way I approach it is one, be knowledgeable, know what you're talking about, do your reading, do you know, have conversations that enrich your knowledge and your wealth pool and um, and number two, just make sure you have you approach these conversations with the right intentions. Always to add, always to engage positively, and always to be constructive instead of tearing tearing people and ideas down. Because we you know people can be very protective of
0: their ideas. And from an adoption perspective, Hannah. And, and Nana as well, if you'd like to jump in. You know, what communication strategies have you found to be most effective when you bring a new blockchain product to market? You know, what should regular people and investors look out for?
4: Yeah, so actually, uh, I took this question differently than you did, which um, is not a bad thing at all, but um, so communication on a, a, at the aspect of a, the company that I work for now actually has a product that runs on Ethereum blockchain. So when, when we tell people, and 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 we're pitching our product to people we don't we try not to explain blockchain and its complexity just to shield shield the user from essentially from its complexity Mm -hmm. Um, so we kind of intertwine blockchain in a way that no one even knows it's there um, just to kind of avoid that conversation um you know for the user it's not necessary to know exactly how things work it's just the the fact that they're benefiting from our product is the reason that they're using it, but um, when it comes to investors, I think that blockchain actually—if you um, break it down, the technology of how your product is working, and if blockchain is, you know, potentially, you know, helping your product even more than the conventional way of doing things—I think telling an investor that is—it gives your company more leverage than not than not telling them. So that's that's how I kind of see it.
2: About adoption. As somebody who works with outreach and getting people to understand um, the potential of blockchain, blockchain technology, especially in underdeveloped parts of the world, like um, um, parts of Africa, parts of um, Asia, it's very important. At least for me and the perspective I bring to my team, is to A, educate and also be to facilitate natural demand. Because when you have something that's valuable, that's cost-effective that really you know, provides solutions to problems, then you don't have to spend so much money marketing and selling it to people. If something is viable, it solves a problem, you put it in front of people, you educate them, them about it, it will naturally find its niche, it will find its place, as long as people have the education and the awareness and the accessibility to the product. And so in the blockchain space, my experience so far has been a lot of people finding problems for solutions they've already built that sometimes, forgive me, are non-existent. So it's like, well, I'm going to do this, and I have this great idea, but like, what's the real world application? Like, who's going to use it? How are they going to use it? You know. And so, um, at least by the conversations that, my angle in these conversations are, how can we make it accessible? How can we educate people? What are the problems in different parts of the world that you know, our platform, our protocol, our token can be used to, be, to, to create um, more efficient solutions for people? So, natural demand is, is, is a big thing in, in the conversations I like just
0: Thank you for that. And yeah, there's also, um, if anyone's interested, this ties to social impact. The, I think, Beaker Center at Georgetown University, there's a woman named Carol LaPointe. She helped author the, the ethical design framework for blockchain solutions, and in it, she goes over stakeholder analysis um, for ethical, you know, blockchain solution design. Um, it's really, it is really important to understand the problem, who's involved, what the consequences might be before you can actually build something that's sustainable. So, Jennifer. I wanna ask you about partnerships and implementation. So having worn many hats in the blockchain space, especially in healthcare, how should we approach implementing blockchain or distributed ledger technology to, one, existing structures and existing business models, and two, to create new business models? In, in my space, within the blockchain,
1: the, the subspace I'm in that is healthcare, um, it's a little bit of the wild, wild west, there's no question. Um, we've got legacy systems in healthcare. People forget that um, the healthcare industry was the one that the last industry really to go down the digital pike, kicking and screaming by President Obama. Thank God he did. Um, but it's still kicking and screaming. Um, you know, the world of healthcare um, with the large EHRs are still getting through their recent you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar implementation of an EHR. And I know when I attended uh, Becker's Hospital Conference last year, they didn't want to hear about a new technology called blockchain. They weren't ready for a a disruption again because to them, EHRs alone was huge for them and, and problematic. Um, Having said that, um, there's no question a lot is going on at a phenomenal rate of speed to make sure that blockchain, which I call a freight train coming down the pike, regardless of what you say about it, and of course it's not a panacea for everything, but for those problems, especially inherent in healthcare, it is a wonderful thing so you know it's coming down the pike and it's happening and in those spaces what i'm seeing is new different kinds of business models right so a lot of consortia are being formed um as a means of organizations to work together and hannah you can please comment because maybe you all are going to be or or already participating in one but um it seems like consortia and, and this This came out of both my interviews with David Holding, who used to be with Intel, um, Compliance Healthcare Blockchain, um, and he's now with Microsoft. And Ted Tanner, who is, um, and these interviews are on my website, but Ted Tanner is the data scientist CTO of PocketDoc, which um, has PocketChain, which is a large consortia. And the idea of building a consortia that then addresses issues like governance and issues that we need help in, and especially in the healthcare field, but working on them together seems to be the way um, and and a good way that that is happening for people to kind of, for companies that are out there in the space, at least this particular space of healthcare to work together, but also um, in other industries. To use consortia is what I've seen as a means and other partnerships as a means to kind of get to where they really want to go. But it is a little crazy and there's a lot of good things going on out there. and it'll just end up, you know, what's gonna be able to get more traction than the other, right, and proceed more quickly along the path to what we want, more quickly than the other.
4: Yeah, I, I uh, agree with what you're saying, um, especially with, you know, moving towards interoperability. Right. I think uh, we all have to kind of work together um, to make these things flow, and if we don't, that's that's that will create a wall, and,
1: we will never be able to seamlessly share things. And I actually think with regard to your company um, at HealthWiz, either it's gonna be a federal mandate, this is just my opinion, okay? Either it's gonna be a federal mandate that the EHRs, the two elephants in the room, will have to share their data, and have API, APIs and, and all of that, and I'm not a technologist. So when I mention these terms, I'm a businesswoman. So forgive me if I even use them incorrectly. But um, or we're going to have patient, the patient itself, which I think is a lot of the focus of your firm, right? So the patient. Each of us are patient. Every single person who is a human being is a patient, right, on this planet. So we might be driving and forcing industry or government. To to share data and to allow data to be shared around healthcare. Of course, there's HIPAA and all this other stuff that we'll get into on my panel later. But um, you know, you really there has to be um, an answer that that you know satisfies both the consumer and government regulatory issues.
0: Thank you. So now I'll ask a few questions for the entire panel. So feel free to jump in. So if women um, assume an increasingly stronger role, how do you see the blockchain space being built differently? And why should this space include more diversity?
3: I can take a little bit. Um, So just in the experience I've had on Telegram and Twitter and um, this is a, you know, It's definitely male-dominated. But I'm a math, you know, I have a math background. I'm used to that. Uh, But what makes this so much more important to have these diverse voices in this space is, this is the most powerful technology that we have ever known. And when you have technology that's that powerful, that's going to affect Probably every aspect of our lives every human on the planet we really I think got to be careful about letting that be designed by a very small homogenous group of people and it's nothing against the developers you know God bless them for, for finding these solutions and working on it but it has been my experience in this space that when people are allowed to go um, to go forward without dissenting opinions. They, um, they don't get that global perspective. And this is global. This is multicultural. This is gonna affect everybody. And so we need all these voices participating in the decisions and the direction, as you were saying, we're gonna be the ones that, that are demanding these solutions. And so we need to feel empowered to want to demand certain solutions. So I think that given the, given the scope and magnitude of this technology, it would be kind of irresponsible for all of us and especially all of us that are minorities in the space to, sta- to not stand up and, and, and take part in this revolution.
4: Well, I, I think um, a new technology does not necessarily mean equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very new technology. It's almost so much that it's so disruptive, that it, it's so new that it that does not have a stigmatism yet. Um, so, who's to say that it cannot be led by women or that of a different race, gender. And I think it, this is just, the technology is equaling in the playing field. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's up to you know, just people in general to you know, take it in the direction of which it should go in. Point. For me personally, just, just to add to
2: that, I think it's important to educate yourself regardless of you know, who you are or what your background is. If something you're passionate about and you want to be involved in, then the honors is on you to get up to speed, to, to have a seat at the table. You have to know your stuff, you have to educate yourself. And when you when you're ready, when you when given the opportunity, then you have a platform that you can really build upon, and you're not just you know all hot air because you think you're a woman or you're a man or you're this gender you're from here, and so you should automatically. At, a seat at the table, I think that you know. Well, opportunities for diversity do exist. They should. They should be earned, they should be.
0: They should be merited as well. I agree. So. Yeah, I just want to add one um, sort of aside about ethics and. Data. There was this um, company that was doing a they were like using AI to help assess who would be most successful in their company. So then they would, based on those results, they would invest their resources mostly on that person um, to just you know cut down risk and cut down costs. Well, AI is only as good as the data you feed it. Any technology is only as good as the data you feed it. The data that this whatever algorithm was fed was mostly from middle-aged white males. So the outcome was, well, middle-aged white males are most likely to succeed, so let's keep investing in them for for them to succeed in the workspace. That is not accurate, and that does not paint an accurate picture of who could really be most successful or of, you know, the, I guess, the population that you should really be focusing on. Um, So the way I see it is having diversity in tech gives you a much larger pool of data from which you can create more accurate solutions. Sorry, yeah. On that real quick. Um, I
2: was talking to Laura earlier about this panel and you know, um, we had the running joke about the conversations that we were having and we we're like, this is the panel we should be having, but I don't think that's the panel. <laughs> we're going to end up having and what I mean is to be honest, to be quite frank with you, it's it's not easy being a woman in this space where you're surrounded by a group of men who think a certain way and who tend to, you know, for the most part have spent longer time in the space and so definitely have more experience and are not used to people who push back on ideas. And so, for me, it's very important to, when you do find your words, to make sure that you know what you're talking about. Because it's, it's you know, your, the pushback is not like, oh, you just stand up and you say something, and automatically it's going to be welcome, or it's going to be accepted. You're going to, you know, you're going to be chided, you're going to be swallowed down, you you know, your, your, your theories, your knowledge, your, everything is going to be questioned. So, you have to be able to stand your ground with your information and your passion and to be able to like, really hold on to your voice and say, no, this is what I really think. Up to whether you take that information and that perspective and choose what to do with it, that's, you know, that's up to you. But if once you get the opportunity and you have the platform and the information, I think the onus is on women in the space to really, really use that voice to speak up. Okay.
1: And I, I have a comment, too. I mean, and you know, I have noticed, and I'm probably the oldest on this panel, I'll admit, but I'll kill any of you if you say that outside this room. <laughs> um, but but I've noticed that, you know, the 27-year-olds love my passion. So I am someone who who's always been interested in new technology and always get excited about it, right? Um, and they respect that, the millennials do as well. They really get that about me. It's not, they don't see age, they don't see woman. They just see someone who thinks blockchain is very cool and wants to learn about it and has things to say about it. And I really, really, I I have found that so refreshing, I have to tell you. So I I think my advice would be, you know, to, you know, if you're excited about it, I know you are as well, um, you know, don't, don't hamper, I guess is what I would say, don't hamper that excitement and just get get out there and, and express it and and you should be anyway, you should be respected for that.
0: All right. The next question. As you think about this industry, where do you see the technology going and where do you see the most potential for transformation? Oh
3: it's you know that's a that's a hard question. Um, because you know, every day I wake up and there's something new, and, or four things new that I learned, and it's, it's hard to think about where is it going. Um, I, uh, I think it's gonna be more powerful than anything we've seen before because unlike other new technologies, like the car, the microwave, the phone, the computer, uh, those solved individual problems, all technologies are born as a solution to a problem. And uh, blockchain technology isn't born to solve a single problem; it's actually solving multiple problems at the same time. So, how does that evolve? It's—it's kind of like I can't even get my mind around the scope of that. Um, but you know, at the same time, I, I think one of the things that we'll see so transformative about the space is. Um, you know, once you, if there's a barrier to get in, but once you're in, it is a great equalizer. You know, if, if people now, instead of, you know, can get validated uh, with their banking or their monetary system on the blockchain, you know, first of all, it's gonna be available to so much more people opening up those opportunities, but now there's no, like, you can't, you're identified by a number. You know, not by your gender, not by your sexual preference, not by your race, Um, so it equalizes everybody. Just like the internet equalized small and large businesses, they had the same, they had this, you know, if they both had good websites, they had the same exposure, right? Same thing, we're all gonna have equal exposure in this space eventually, and that's, to me, very exciting beyond the, the solution cases, just the, the idea of equality being available.
4: Yeah, I, I just wanted to add, I don't think um, blockchain itself is gonna solve anything by itself. Um, I think it has potential to uh, correct a lot of existing things and mm-hmm. to be the basis of a lot of really new, great things. But by itself, it's just a, you know a technology that's mm-hmm. waiting to be utilized correctly.
1: And, and to piggyback with that a bit, um, and I totally agree. Um, I'm getting excited about blockchain and AI working together, right? So I'm hearing a lot more and more. We all are about about that happening and what that can bring about, and and that gets me very excited. Um, what also gets me excited is is in the healthcare space is seeing the credentialing that came up this morning that is that is really strong. That will help, you know, communities save, uh, you know, save. Save people, save lives actually, because um, it can take the three to six months for someone, for a, a doctor in, say, a rural community to get credentialed. And of course, during that time, um, you know, there are people that might need that cardiologist or what have you. And so um, the idea of saving lives is huge, and the idea of the up and coming technology that's going to be tied with blockchain um, is very exciting.
0: question before we turn to the audience for a Q&A. What are you skeptical of?
3: Everything. <laughs> hmm. Centralized. Centralized blockchains. I'm skeptical of centralized blockchains. I'm
2: skeptical of centralized blockchains that claim they're decentralized blockchains when in fact they're actually centralized blockchains.
0: Yeah, that's what I meant to say. (laughs) Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, and they were saying that, you know, the concept of decentralization has been completely bastardized. It's just now seen as an end instead of a means to an end, which is probably how you'd reap the most benefit out of it, if it's, decentralized, decentralization is a means to achieving something greater, right? whereas let's just do whatever it takes to be decentralized, but then you compromise, let's say security, for example. Um, so yeah, decentralization is something I'm also skeptical of. For, space, go ahead. I
2: think the space is evolving, and so people who take extreme hard positions about, you know, oh, we're decentralized, oh, you know, Fiat yeah, is bad and crypto is good. Really hardline positions, to me, are you know, are do raise some alarm. I get that people have spent more time in the space and so therefore have end their stripes and have more experience. But really, nobody knows what's going to happen in the next one year, if the bear market is going to switch to a bull market, if governments are going to be more pro-crypto, more pro-blockchain, or the reverse, I mean, if I was, you know, if, if I was a, a government who had regulation power to literally, to something that's really damaged blockchains that run on cryptocurrencies. By you know working or disconnecting some part of internet infrastructure to preserve my status as a sovereign nation to preserve my currency is definitely something that's doable. So the crypto anarchy, the pseudo experts, you know, pro government, you know, uh, against government, pro regulation. I think those hardline stances should always um, warrant some kind of second guessing. Like, am I looking at this through? One single lens. Maybe what 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 other options are there? What other opinions are there? And you know, is it possible to sort of like zoom out of whatever bubble or, or community that I'm currently engaged in in the crypto slash blockchain space and try and see things from different angles? I think that's something that, that scares me. That a lot of people end up within this space, you know, oh, Bitcoin not blockchain oh no blockchain not bitcoin oh no governments need to stay out of uh of, of blockchain or no you know we need regulators on our side or no no Fiat is gonna die and everyone's gonna run on crypto no don't do <laughs> you know Ethereum, uh enterprise ethereum doesn't make sense Hyperledger doesn't make sense everything <laughs> should be on a public blockchain or no everything should be provisioned it's like no it's multi-classes and there's so many ways to think about this and so many and so the danger of you
4: know
3: being walked into one way of I think, is, is, is very high, unfortunately. And okay. that goes back to why do we need more perspectives. Yeah, exactly.
4: I think it's funny because not too long ago wasn't, wasn't the, new, the craze uh, centralization, you know, especially in healthcare. And so now it's decentralization. But I think, m- not a fear that I have, but a um, concern. It would be, for me, a scalability. To where you know once this does catch fire you know are we gonna, are we gonna have the knowledge and the power to scale it to where it needs to be
1: Yeah, and a, and a concern that I and I would say concern as well not so much skepticism but a concern I have is um, and this probably comes on the heels of Carol and the attorney group because I'm the legal beagle on the panel but um, you know, is all the startups out there in the space, as much as I love the space, but the startups out there in the space that say, we do this and we do that, when they don't even have a pilot, they barely have a white paper. And that really frightens me because it doesn't do justice to the market as a whole. Um, A lot of that fraudulent activity, perhaps, was going on more in 2017, I think, with STOs and what have you, um, and the SEC getting more involved. <clears throat> this year, we'll, we'll, we'll see a lot of that dying down, and I think it already is. Um, the other sort of fear that I have or concern is the education aspect, um, which I believe is vital. And here we are at a university that, thank heavens to the people putting this on, um, is obviously fostering education around the blockchain. But, but it is really important. Um, I, I can't tell you the panels I've been on or um, moderated that you know said some pretty strong things about blockchain. Um, that, that were almost offensive, right? And um, you have to kind of step back and say, okay, they just need educated. Um, they just need educated, Jennifer, don't say anything. <laughs> um, so so I think that's vital, and that's a concern I have, that that has to really happen in the space.
0: Yeah, I just wanna piggyback off of what you just said, Jennifer. I, I agree that education's a big component, not just education of regular people, but education of entrepreneurs as well. I work in the ICO space. I manage ICO campaigns, and so I've, developed, you know, my own perspective of the space, but what I've seen is that, you know, it's just a lot of artificial demand and oversupply, and the lack of natural demand eventually trumps speculative demand. So I really think that entrepreneurs and, you know, startups, while it's great to try new things, try new business concepts, see what sticks, Um, understanding and modeling demand is really critical to pricing um, supply production and so you know in in crypto land people are so busy just like pumping out tokens that we forget the fundamentals of supply and demand and risk management and the dangers of buying things that are improperly priced so education all-around is really important any questions from the audience if we still have time Hi, um, thank you so much for your words. I think this is a really good panel because it seemed like you all spoke from very different angles. Right? really, really like that. Um, I have two very different questions. So I guess one is not even specific to blockchain, but um, if you could speak to what what it's like being a woman and trying to be a leader, um, because I recently recognized that there might be biases
4: in, answer to maybe first part um, so with the startup that I'm currently with um, I am a founding member so my background is in engineering and IT and I saw that the only way to get in with this company they had a, um, a chief marketing position open so I kind of weaseled my way into some you know and to a way that I'm unfamiliar with but just to kind of Plant my seed, and you know I I will take this position even though, um, you know I have a background in you know developing and engineering things. But sometimes you have to kind of you know play hardball and and get in where you think you deserve, even if it's if you're not doing what you think you should be doing. You eventually will when you once you establish
1: such a position. You know. And and I think just um, be yourself. You know, and I know that sounds contrived, but. Um, you know, I even noticed early this morning. I had a couple questions for some of the gentlemen that that responded in the Q and A, and there was a group of about eight gentlemen. If anyone noticed over here, we did not partake in the in the game and role playing that was going on in the back of the room. I was the only woman in that group, but I had some questions for these men that I knew were intelligent, and and I have an inquisitive mind, and and it it, it would I would not stop and think, but I'm a woman going into. A den of eight men talking over here, you know it it just doesn't it just doesn't come in my radar, and I think that's how how we have to function and you know if if and and let your intelligence come forth too and you know dictate that you know well I know something and I can I can have some value and make a comment in this space too and just be yourself
3: and I, well, I was gonna say that goes with you kind of what nana was saying of just like knowing your stuff if you want to be a leader um if you you know if you want to you know speak your your opinion you, you make sure you're knowledgeable about it and double check yourself or right you know like when we were working on a team i'll run an idea by her first be like how does that sound before i present it to the team you know because you know it is being a woman in a space you know or surrounded by men, you could come off as um, screechy, you know, in their in their eyes. So, to be uh, to be very professional and to be thick-skinned, uh, really, you got to be thick-skinned and confident, and professional, and knowledgeable, and pretty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> just to add to so what Laura said, one well, thing that
2: really saddens me. Um, not just in this space but in the corporate life in general is that it's generally seen as a zero-sum game, right? Like, if men are the leaders, like all the women are like, oh, that's not fair, I was men. this is bad. And then, you know, when women start stepping up, it's like, oh, they're only stepping up because of diversity and blah, 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 we just have to like give them a voice and give them a a token chair, or let's just have one woman in the group so we can look diverse. It's really not a zero-sum game in my experience. I like to think that, at least for um, the team that Laura and I are part of, and also in my work with um, Omega ICO, that you know everybody comes with their unique strengths and backgrounds and perspectives. If you're working with a group of all men, you are missing. You are definitely missing out on a different perspective. We have different levels of risk appetite, for example. We have different perspectives of you know usability. That you know if you're going to appeal to a general mass population. You know isolated one group or another can have serious implications for whatever project that you're trying to do um so as a woman i don't necessarily see it like you know oh you know i have to be more mounding to ensure that you know i'm being taken seriously but no i'm a woman like this is my superpower <laughs> this is what i bring to the table right and so you know you wear that with, with pride and with full armor and you know as long as you know your stuff and you're passionate and you found your voice and you know how to use it, then mm. I think that you should, you, should, you, you will definitely try. this. There's, there's nothing anyone can
0: do or say that way as you know. And just one more thing before we wrap up. I know we're going a few minutes over, but we started a little late too. Um, be curious. When met with confrontation, when met with difficulty, take a curious perspective and ask questions rather than posturing or pretending or even being silent. Um, I think curiosity will open up answers that everyone else around you probably didn't know, whether that's other men or women. Um, And being curious takes a certain degree of vulnerability, uh, which can be challenging, and I can see how that can be discouraged. But I think the most curious and vulnerable people are some of the truly most impressive leaders that we have. So always stay open and be curious. I I found that to be helpful. (laughs) So thank you so much everybody for sharing your perspectives.